Uh, We are going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So if you have your Bible, get over to Acts chapter 8. This week, while I was studying for this passage, uh, I went over to Starbucks for a few minutes to study. Sometimes I just get out of the office for a new environment, a little bit of noise and a little bit of action and a little bit of voices around me sometimes helps me to focus and get a little bit more creative, actually. But uh, as I was sitting in Starbucks, uh, the door opened and a man walked in dressed like a Renaissance king from the 1500s. I'm not making this up. And just to let you know and to prove I'm not making this up, I did snap a surreptitious picture of this man walking in the door. Now, this was not a cheap costume. This uh, clearly was a handmade, very carefully made costume that this man had on. He was speaking in a British accent the whole time he was in there. He looks like King Henry VIII. He ordered some coffee. He stood out there in the corner. He talked with people. Uh, He held court, as it were. And then uh, he left the building. And uh, I thought, that is one of the most interesting people I've ever seen walk into a Starbucks. Now, it turns out, I talked to a friend, this man is actually with the Renaissance Festival, as you may have guessed, that starts today. Uh, but it grabbed my attention. Here's why. Because it is clearly unusual to see this guy walk into Starbucks. I'm sure that British kings need coffee like the rest of us, but they probably have it sent to them. And uh, if they are from, you know, 1530, they probably didn't have Starbucks. And so when they walk in, you go, wow, that doesn't fit, right? All of us have an idea in our minds of who fits in what context. From the time that we're small, we develop categories of who fits where. And so if you see somebody that you go, that guy doesn't fit in that context, it causes you to take notice, right? So when you were watching football games, maybe yesterday, if you saw a guy on the offensive line who was my size, you might pause and go, that doesn't fit right? He doesn't belong. Sometimes our expectations of who fits are correct. Sometimes they're incorrect. Sometimes we see a person in a place that doesn't seem to fit, and we're surprised. That happens throughout the scripture with regularity, because when we're talking about uh, the Spirit of God and the way that the Spirit of God moves, it's quite often that we see God places people into situations where they do not seem, on first glance, to fit. God delights in confounding expectations. He delights in utilizing unlikely people to do tasks that you think that person is not made for that task. The book of Acts is a great illustration of how God uses unlikely people. As we've walked through the book of Acts, we see how uh, Peter, one of Christ's apostles, is able to stand up on Pentecost and speak boldly and clearly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you knew the Peter from the gospels, you would think, okay, that guy does not fit as a coherent and bold leader of the church because he was reckless, he was brash, he was relatively uneducated, he was not a public speaker or an orator, and yet God chose Peter to be really the first leader of the early church. Saul, who later is known as Paul, is very much the same way. He is educated, and yet he hates Jesus. And we'll see next week how God grabs Saul and turns his life 180 degrees in the opposite direction and uses this unlikely man to do a very unexpected task. He calls him in a very extraordinary way to do something that at first glance you go, he doesn't fit. 
This week we're going to look at the life of Philip from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. And Philip's another guy that at first glance, uh, he doesn't seem to fit where God places him. Philip is a Hellenistic Jew. And if you remember last week when we talked about Stephen, the Hellenistic Jews were men and women who did not speak Hebrew or Aramaic as their primary language, but instead they spoke Greek. Philip doesn't seem to fit with the Hebrew Jews who are leading the church at this point in time. Philip is not a rabbi. He's not a priest. He's not an apostle. He is just really a man who is faithful to God, who is serving God's people. Literally, his job, it says, was waiting tables, right? Taking care of the food distribution. And yet God will call Philip and say, Philip, I want you to be really the first missionary of the early church. Philip is the guy who first in the book of Acts shares the good news of Jesus with somebody who is not Jewish. He is the first one to engage in what we would call today cross-cultural ministry, not to his own people, but to a different people group. I love that we landed on this passage this week because it is, as you heard earlier, this is our missions week. Uh, Once a year, we have a week dedicated strictly to the idea of what God is doing around the world and how God wants to reach cross-culturally and bring people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to himself. And it just so happens that we have landed on the passage where God first goes to a cross-cultural individual, and he does it through Philip. And the reason I love that we landed on this passage this week is because some of you in your mind have a picture of what missionary looks like, and you think, these people fit as missionaries, and these people who fit as missionaries are not me. You may think, For me to engage in cross-cultural ministry, that's about as comfortable as putting on a King Henry VIII suit and walking into Starbucks. And yet what we see as we walk through the scripture and what you may find in your life is this, that God loves to use unlikely people, he calls unlikely people, in extraordinary ways to go to unexpected places. God calls unlikely people in extraordinary ways to go to unexpected places. As we look at the life of Philip this morning, I want all of us, in a sense, to set aside our preconceived ideas of what God may want to do in our lives. Just like Philip was, you may say, you know, I have a pretty good ministry, a pretty good life right here. And I don't anticipate that I'm the type of person God would call to engage in cross-cultural ministry. When we think of missionaries, maybe we think of people who dress like Jack Hanna or Steve Irwin. They've got their safari hat on, and they're over in Africa, and they're tough, and they just know what to do. Right? Maybe we think of people who just can't get another job. Right? Let's be honest. And you say, that doesn't fit me. And here's what we'll see as we look at Acts chapter 8. When it comes to the movement of the Spirit of God, all bets are off in terms of who he may call and what he may call you to do. All of us are called to participate in the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. I've heard it said you are either giving or going or you are disobedient, right? Those are your options. All of us are called to participate in the Great Commission. The question is, will you and I be open to the movement of the Spirit in our lives to say, God often calls unlikely people. Often he does it in extraordinary ways to go to places that we may not expect. 
That's what he does in the life of Philip. So we're going to begin with this concept of God calls unlikely people. But let me read Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 26 to 40 this morning so uh, that we can get a sense of the entire story. So follow along with me. Acts 8, starting in verse uh, 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. All right, so God uses unlikely people. As we mentioned, Philip is not an apostle. He has a pretty good ministry going in Samaria. You see that in the first half of chapter 8. He's preaching the gospel in Samaria. People are coming to know Jesus, and yet God called Philip to be this guy to go and share the gospel with this Ethiopian court official. Now, we'll talk more about him in a little while, but one of the things that strikes me about Philip, like I mentioned earlier, is he is not a Hebrew-speaking Jew. And if you remember, there's all of this tension in the book of Acts between Hebrew-speaking Jews and Hellenistic Jews and Gentiles. The biggest issue, actually, that the early church faced in the book of Acts was how do we preach the gospel in a way that it unites Jew and Gentile, and the Hellenistic Jews are kind of in between. They would have been looked down upon by the Hebrew Jews, but they would not have directly related to the Gentiles because they were Jews. And so Philip is one of these guys that finds himself in the middle that you would look at on the surface and go, he's not the first person I would pick to begin the Gentile mission. When my wife was teaching school, there were always kids in her class, and those of you who have taught school know this, there were always kids in her class in seventh grade where she taught that you would look at and go, "Uh, that child is certainly not most likely to succeed, okay? Let's be honest. There, there were always kids like that that struggled to sit still, struggled to listen, struggled to do the assignments. Often they were smart kids. They just had a really hard time focusing, and you would look and you go, that child is not necessarily who I, I would pick to be most likely to succeed. But we used to joke when she was teaching that that child will probably one day be the boss of us all, right? Because at some point, his discipline will catch up with his intelligence, Right? And he will be the CEO of some company. 
Some of you know the story of Albert Einstein, but Einstein as a child was not a person that you would have expected to go on and succeed as an academic or as an intellectual. It said that when he was first born, his head and his face were so large and disfigured that his grandmother began to cry and wail, he's too fat, he is too fat, right? Now, can you imagine that happening with one of your children today? You go, Grandma, take it easy, right? Get out of the room. As he grew, he struggled with school. He had a really hard time uh, focusing in school. In fact, he did not actually speak until he was almost three years old. His parents were concerned. Uh, Right around three, he began to speak in full sentences, actually. He got expelled from high school. He failed his exams to technical school. He had a really difficult time. And then somewhere around his 20s, it all caught up. And to this day, when we say Einstein, we think genius, don't we? My younger brother was like that. My younger brother was one of those kids that would empty out the freezer just for fun, you know, so my dad would come in when he was three and find him surrounded by the contents of the freezer. He took stuff apart. He struggled in school. He didn't always get uh, good grades. He was a challenge for his teachers. Today, he is a very successful programmer. He took that skill of knowing how to take stuff apart and put it back together and turned it into a career. Sometimes those who are unlikely, when you look at them from a different angle, become those that God uses. God delights in confounding expectations. When you look at Philip from another perspective, Philip actually is a person who would relate well to those who are on the outside. Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. He understood what it was like to not fit. So God says, I'm going to take this guy who doesn't quite fit and send him to somebody who really doesn't fit and push beyond the boundaries of this culture, of language, of your comfort zone to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. And so Philip is used mightily because when God says go, he gets up and he goes. Philip understands what Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's this, he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Again, many of us in this room would say, you know, when I think of missionary, I don't think of me. And that's not necessarily because I have some stereotype. It may be because you say, I'm sinful. I have struggles that nobody else is aware of. I'm, I'm weak. I'm not eloquent. Maybe you think like Moses. I, I can't speak. I have a hard time remembering Bible verses. And, and my challenge is this, that, that we open our hearts and our minds to the idea that when the Spirit of God begins to move, all bets are off in terms of what he may call us to do with our lives. I don't know where the Spirit of God may direct your life or mine. But what we see in the early church is men and women are willing and open to say, I will go where he leads, even if I am an unlikely person. Some of you have perhaps heard of a missionary from the early 20th century named Gladys Aylward. Uh, Gladys Aylward was an uneducated young woman. She had virtually no education. She grew up in a uh, what we would call a, a lower-class home today. She became a housemaid in order to make money for her family, and yet she sensed that God was calling her to go to China as a missionary. 
Now, here's the problem. When she applied, she applied to the uh, China Inland Mission, actually, and they turned her down. That was Hudson Taylor's missionary organization. They turned her down because they said uh, she isn't educated enough. She cannot learn the language well enough. She will not succeed in China. So here's what Gladys Aylward decided to do. She continued to feel God's calling on her life. And even though she was the most unlikely of missionaries, she said, I have to go where God is leading. And so she took all of her life savings and she bought a one-way ticket to China. She traveled through the mountains of Russia all the way around to China. It took her months to get there. She didn't know anybody. She had no introduction to anybody. She just showed up and found a missionary and said, let me work with you. She became employed by the Chinese government as a foot inspector. They had outlawed foot binding for young women and children. And so she, her job was to go from village to village and she would look at their feet to make sure that they were not abusing these girls by binding up their feet anymore to make them tiny. In that context, she got to know people from all social strata. She shared the gospel. She built an orphanage. And the impact of her work still continues to this day. Books have been written about her life. Movies have been made about her life about this person that you would look at and say, uneducated, unable, poor, the most unlikely of missionaries. And yet God got a call on her life to make an impact. So the question is, will you and I say, even though I am unlikely, I've got my own thing going on here. I have a good job. I've got a good ministry. I've got a busy family. I've got whatever it may be. Will you say, God may call me, maybe for a week, maybe for a month, maybe for a year. Or God may call me to take a step of faith in terms of my giving toward missions. Or God may call me in some way to participate in the Great Commission, even right here, in a way that I've never thought about before. And although it's uncomfortable, if God calls you, he means you. The scripture is riddled with men and women whom when God first called them, they said, "Mm, you've dialed the wrong number. Moses is a great example. Jacob, you would not think of Jacob, the liar and deceiver, as a man that God would use to spread the message of his blessing. You even see that God will use donkeys if he has to, as he did with Balaam. God calls you. If God calls me, he means you. He means me. God calls unlikely people. And often because he's calling unlikely people, he'll do so in extraordinary ways. I love the way that this uh, story in Acts chapter 8 plays out. Uh, Hopefully you got a sense of it as we were reading it. God uh, sends an angel to appear to Philip and the angel says, you need to go down to the road that is from Jerusalem that goes down into Gaza. So between Israel and Egypt, there's this road that goes down kind of southwest into Gaza. And Luke, in writing, makes a point of saying, this was a desert road. All right, so the angel says, Philip, you need to go down there. So Philip gets up, and he goes down, and he's standing in the desert. And uh, it says, behold, there's an Egyptian riding in his chariot, reading Isaiah. Behold is sort of the Greek way of saying, wow, look at that. What a coincidence. He shows up, and there's this Ethiopian official of the queen of Ethiopia. He's like the minister of finance, sitting in his chariot, and he just so happens, by coincidence also, to be reading Isaiah chapter 53, which is the passage about the suffering servant. 
And I love the Spirit of God says to Philip, I want you to go up to that chariot. And so imagine that uh, this chariot, it has horses on the front, right? So the Ethiopian has a driver and he's bouncing along and this chariot's probably going pretty fast. And Philip runs up alongside of it as this guy is reading and he can hear him reading uh, Isaiah 53 and he's running and he goes, do you understand what you're reading? Right? Like that. And the guy, I'm sure, looked around and goes, there is a dude right next to my chariot, right? (laughs) Imagine if you're driving your car and you're reading and somebody runs alongside or comes up on a horse and looks in and goes, can I help you with that? That's about what this is like. And the guy looks back and he goes, well, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And I've always imagined that there's a dialogue that happens where Philip goes, I'd love to, but I'm running, right? And he goes, okay, come on in the chariot. And he sits down and he explains to him, starting with that very passage, who Jesus is. This whole story is a remarkable series of what you might view as coincidences, but they are divine coincidences. All God says to him is, you go there, and then all of this plays out. And what I love about it is, God is so concerned with spreading the message of the gospel beyond the borders of Israel that he uses these remarkable, miraculous means to draw this man to Jesus. You and I, Jesus says, are the salt of the earth. And what you see throughout Scripture is that sometimes the salt likes to stay up in the shaker, right? So God, in some of these passages, picks up the shaker and he goes, get out. He does that throughout the Scripture, and he still does those sorts of things today. And it may be in your life that God begins to speak to you in ways that you cannot explain, in ways that you cannot put down simply to coincidence because he wants to communicate, I am calling you to go. I asked my dad to send me a story this past week that happened in his life, in his real life, back in 1970. When my dad was in college, he traveled to a Campus Crusade winter conference in January. It was in Dallas. He had never been to Dallas before. He went to this conference, and uh, he and some friends were standing around talking one night. It was about one in the morning when a young lady with the conference came up and said, do you know anybody around here who speaks the Turkish language? My dad said, no, we don't. And uh, she said, and they said, why? Why do you need to know? And she said, well, there's a man over here who speaks Turkish, and we want to share the gospel with him, but our Turkish is non-existent, and his English is not that great, and we're having a hard time uh, communicating. And my dad said, I do not know what it was at that moment that prompted me to say this, because he said, I've never said anything like this exactly before or since, but he said, let us pray that in 10 minutes, a Turkish translator will walk up to that desk right there. And so he and his friend Wayne, uh, they prayed for that. They finished praying, and my dad said, well, let's go look. And Wayne apparently said, now let's wait. We have eight more minutes. All right, so they stood there for eight minutes. Eight minutes later, a man walked in the front door and walked up to that desk. My dad said, I could not go ask him if he spoke Turkish. I just did not have the guts. So his friend walked up, said, do you speak Turkish? The man says, why, yes, I do. Proceeded to take the man over. He shared the gospel to the other man they were trying to talk to. In fact, neither of these Turkish men were believers in Jesus. So they both heard the gospel for the first time that night. Dad and his friend waited until the conversation was over and went to this translator and said, what in the world drew you to this hotel at one in the morning? And he said, well, I got off work and I was driving home and I realized I was out of money to buy cigarettes. 
and I just happened to pass this hotel, and I had never been in this hotel before, but I walked in so that I could get change so that I could buy my cigarette so that I could go home and have a smoke. And my dad said, hey, who says smoking is a bad thing, right? <laughs> a year later, my dad asked a statistician how many people at that time in the United States spoke Turkish. The guy said about 5,000 in the whole country. Imagine the odds that at one in the morning, one of them would walk into that building. And, and in my dad's life, it became one of those moments where he realized that if the Spirit of God is at work, he may use extraordinary means to shake us a bit. To say, I want you, you. When I called you, I meant you. That's what he does in Philip's life. Go to that road. And through this series of remarkable coincidences, right? And I say that with the air quotes on purpose. The series of remarkable coincidences God pushes for him to go. And God may do that in your life. To push you to a place where your heart will soften enough to say, I'm open to where God wants to lead me. Now, I have to share one more story very quickly. Uh, I asked uh, a young lady who used to work for me here at the church named Rachel. Uh, she went overseas for a couple of years with one of our stint teams where they go when they graduate college for a year or two to share the gospel. She went to Central Asia, and I said, just tell me your story of how God led you. And she said, my story is a series of these types of divine coincidences. She said, here's what happened. I was sitting in our college service over at Anderson one morning when they talked about going overseas. And a, a student got up and shared her story of how she went overseas to Central Asia and it changed her life and it drew her closer to the Lord and God used her to share the gospel. Well, Rachel thought, I need to go and talk to her. She felt this prompting from the spirit, but she said, I ignored it. I didn't do it. I walked away. She said, I felt guilty about it. The next day I was on the bus and I got off my bus on campus at the bus stop. And when I walked off the bus, there was that same girl about eight feet away from me. She said, I'd never seen her before. And there she was. And she said, again, I felt the prompting of the spirit. Go talk to her. Ask her about that trip. Ask her if you should go. She said, I didn't do it. I walked away. She said, I felt so guilty about it. I stopped attending grace for a little while because I couldn't handle the guilt of disobeying the Lord. She said, I stayed here over the Christmas break when all of the other students had gone away. And she said, I was considering going back to Grace. And then one night I went to a coffee shop here in town and I sat down. And as I left the coffee shop, there she was again. And she said, I felt the prompting of the Lord. Go talk to her and ask her about the trip. She said, I didn't do it. I walked away. And she said, she got in her car and she began to cry. And she said, Lord, just if you'll give me one more chance, if I see her again, I promise I'll talk to her. Got up the next morning, went to Grace, walks toward the front doors. This is Christmas break, remember, and there she is, that same girl handing out the flyers as she walks in the door. Rachel said, right then, I grabbed her arm and said, come here, I got to talk to you. (laughs) And they set up a coffee, and Rachel said, I sat down with this girl that week, and I laid out for her all the reasons I could not go overseas. And with every single one, this girl said, yep, I thought that, yep, I thought that, yep, I thought that, and here's what God did despite my objections. And Rachel said, okay, signed up and went. And she said, it was one of those moments in my life, like it was for Philip, like it was for my dad, where she realized if God calls, God means it. 
And sometimes he will push even in extraordinary ways in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits until we say, okay, I'll do what you're calling me to do. So God chooses these unlikely people. And often he moves in extraordinary ways. Right? And he takes them to go to unexpected places. As I mentioned before, the road between Jerusalem and Gaza was a desert place. Not a whole lot of people hanging out there. This would be like if you sensed the Spirit of God telling you, go ahead and go to the Shell station that's two miles outside Snook this afternoon and just hang out in the parking lot. And you go, that's pretty ridiculous. Why would that be the nexus of God's activity on earth? But God says, you go down there. And again, he goes down and, whoa, there is an important official sitting right there. The Ethiopian man would have had an important voice in the court of the queen. But the Ethiopian man, because he was a eunuch, he could never enter the temple. He could not directly become what was called a proselyte or a full convert to Judaism. He was an outsider who believed in God, but did not understand who the Messiah was. And it just so happens, again, he's reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. The Son of God made an outcast on our behalf. And God sends Philip to this remote outpost where he never would have gone on his own. Remember, he's in Samaria. He's having a great ministry there. God sends him to an odd place and says, just trust me. Just go. Just go. A couple of years ago, I was driving from here to Houston, and I passed a Bucky's. And I looked over and I thought, that looks like a place I want to stop maybe use the restroom, buy some food, whatever. You know, of course, been to a thousand convenience stores, but walked into this Bucky's. And if you've ever been in one of these places, it is quite extraordinary. Uh, People who have not been go, what's the big deal? It's a convenience store. Once you walk in, you go, wow, uh, this is amazing. People like follow you around and clean the bathroom after you use it, right? They have mops and they clean it all up. Uh, There are dozens and dozens of pumps. There are all of these cash registers. You walk in, you go, this is not a convenience store. This is like Disney World in here. So I walked in and I was like, this is amazing. And I walked out. In fact, I read a review online. A guy on Yelp online said, this is the first gas station that makes me proud to be an American and a Texan. That was the kind of epiphany he had. So I got back in my car. Uh, Well, the next time that Shannon and I were driving down to Houston, we passed it and I said, Shannon, we need to go in there. She said, well, I don't need to stop. I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Well, we didn't, we didn't stop on that trip. We didn't stop on the way back. It took me two or three times of saying, we need to go in there. Finally, she goes, okay, we'll go in there. She walked in and she went, oh my goodness. This place is amazing, right? And I said, I told you, if you just trust me and go, that you'd get it, right? You'd understand. It seems like an odd place. A Bucky's, what's the big deal? God says to Philip, look, just trust me and just go. And you'll understand that the plan that I have It's so great you can't even imagine it. I'm going to use Philip's life to plant a seed for the gospel that will travel all the way down into Africa where it will spread and where it will grow and where the gospel message will penetrate to what is the outermost ends of the earth. See, The Romans actually viewed Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. They were fascinated 
with, it's not modern-day Ethiopia, but it's actually a place called Kush, which is in modern-day Sudan. They were fascinated with this kingdom that was different and strange, and they said it was the ends of the earth. And you see that implication weaving its way through this passage because Jesus had said to them, what? You will go to Jerusalem and Judea Judea and Samaria, where Philip had been, and then where? To the ends of the earth. Share the message of Jesus Christ. So God sends this unlikely man in an extraordinary way to a very unexpected place. And as I read this passage... It always jumps out to me that God's Spirit is still at work. And again, when the Spirit of God is at work, all bets are off. Look at John chapter 3. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit moves in ways we can't anticipate. You think you know God's next move in your life. You are wrong. And so God at times will pick up that salt shaker and say, I want to shake up your view of the world and of your life and of your service to me. My guess is that there are even some in here this morning that you've been sensing the Lord's call to participate in some way in the Great Commission. And like my friend Rachel, you've been pushing that aside. Others, you have no idea what it may be that God has for you in regards to the Great Commission. So it may be that you need to learn and pray and spend some time seeking him in that regard so his spirit can speak. Ultimately, what God does in the life of Philip, what God calls Philip to do, what God calls us to do, is actually a reflection of what God himself did, isn't it? God is a missionary God. This is the greatest cross-cultural mission trip in the history of humanity, is Jesus coming from the right hand of God, come as a man, to die on our behalf, to rise again, so we can be with him. So now he calls his people to engage in the same type of missionary activity that Jesus engaged in. Move out of what is our comfort zone into the realm of the Spirit of God, where it's uncomfortable, it's unpredictable, it's unfamiliar. He says, I want you to reflect the missionary heart of God to share the message that Jesus died and rose again to bring eternal life, to be a part of sharing that with the whole world. I don't know what God has for each individual's life because every individual story in this room is different. And maybe God is calling you to engage in the Great Commission from right here in College Station for the rest of your life, but it may be God is calling you to go for a week or a month or a year or more to another place. And really, all I want to ask this morning as we look at the life of a guy like Philip is, are our hearts open to what the Spirit may want to say? A few very practical things to think about as we close, a few applications. First of all, I I challenge you to learn about what God is doing. Uh, We have the lunch at 1 o'clock today out in the park. I'd encourage you to come to that. We're going to have a representative from Pioneers here. Pioneers goes all over the world and shares the gospel with unreached people groups. If you can't make it to the lunch, or even if you can, uh, join us on Wednesday night at our Anderson campus from 7 to 9. There will be representatives from a variety of missions organizations 
who will be able to share what God is doing through them and their organizations overseas. There will be opportunities for you to participate, to pray, and to give. And those are a couple other applications. Continue to pray for our missionaries. If you meet missionaries throughout the course of this week, ask them, how can I be praying for what God is doing in your ministry, in your family, in your life? Spend some time praying for God's work around the world. Give to God's work around the world. There are ways to do that through these organizations. There are ways when you give to Grace Bible Church, a percentage of our budget always goes towards overseas missions. But I encourage you, as you learn about who our missionaries are, consider giving individually to one or two of our missionaries as well so you can directly support what God is doing around the world. And then last, consider, is God calling you to go? There are going to be some short-term trips that you can participate in, some opportunities to participate in refugee relief work, next summer, some opportunities to go overseas and share the gospel in various contexts. If you're a college student, there are trips over the summer, six-week trips that you can take where you can get an exposure to overseas missions. It's a great way to start if you say, you know, I have a job, but I could take a week or two and go overseas and see what God is doing. Consider how God may call you to go and participate in his work. God calls unlikely people in extraordinary ways to go to unexpected places, and you and I are not exempt from that call. Because again, when the Spirit of God begins to move in our lives, all bets are off in terms of our plans and our goals because they subordinate themselves to His. So the question this morning is, will you and I allow the soil of our hearts to soften enough that we listen to His voice and obey where He leads us for the sake of the Great Commission and the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for Your Word. I pray that we would not only understand it this morning, but obey it. We look at a man like Philip or a man like Peter or Paul, and uh, I know if those in this room are like me, we say, you know, I'm certainly not like Peter or Paul. I do not stack up to them in so many ways, and yet I'm certain that as you called them, they thought the same thing. When they thought about Abraham or Moses or the patriarchs or the prophets, and yet all through history, your mode is to take people who say, not me, and to say to them, no, I mean you. And I pray we would hear that message and go where you lead through the prompting of your spirit. We thank you for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.